are in the book of Mark for the next 10 years or so. Just kidding. Um, but today we're in Mark chapter 3. But what we're doing in this series is we are asking the question, who is Jesus? And today is a passage that we're going to go through that we look at Jesus calling his disciples. And for many of you, this is a very familiar passage. And I want to just give us a little context that, that Jesus is doing something where he is has been talking to this really great big crowd. People are coming from everywhere. Go to Mark chapter 3 for a moment and go to to verse 7. Eric hit this last week as he was talking about Jesus being the Lord of the Sabbath. And I want to just backtrack just a little bit and then get us into our passage, which will be verses 13 to 19. But what it says in verse 7 is, it says, Jesus withdrew to the sea with his disciples. There's already people following him. It says, with a great multitude from Galilee they followed, and also from Judea, and from Jerusalem down in the south, and Idumea, and the Jordan off into the east, and the vicinity of Tyre and Sidon. A great number of people heard of all that he was doing. They came to him, and he told his disciples that a boat should stand ready for him because of the crowd, so that they would not crowd him. For he had healed many with the result that all those who had afflictions passed around him in order to touch him. I want you to get the sense that people are coming literally from everywhere. And they're coming because they want to be healed. You get this picture, first century, when Jesus is there, that everybody seems to be sick with something. Doesn't it? Like everybody's around. And and it's kind of interesting because the lifespan at this time was about 35 years old. That's not very long, right? So you have some kind of ailment. You get the flu and you're out. And so you hear about this healer and everybody's coming, lining up, trying to find Jesus. And and so he gets kind of crowded in. So much so that like he's getting backed into the water. He says, I'm going to need a boat. And they push the boat out a little bit and that becomes his platform. And that is where he's doing his healing ministry. And all of these people are around. And then it says, go to verse 13, that Jesus kind of retreats even from that piece says, he went up on the mountain and summoned those whom he himself wanted, and they came to him. Today I want us to talk about this idea of Jesus being a sender. Um, There's this picture of Jesus talking to the many. There's this huge crowd, and that huge crowd is where I put the word many. It's where most of Jesus' ministry took place. It's on the northern side of the Sea of Galilee. And he retreats and he goes to a nearby mountain. Uh, This perspective where you see the word few is this mountaintop called Mount Arbel. And it's this beautiful overlook. You can see the entire sea. I want us to just get this sense of of what this might look like. Now, um, some of you, when you came in today, you got a little raffle ticket. It says, keep this coupon. It has a raffle number on it. Um, If you got one of those, would you just stand up right where you're at? We're going to try something here. Just stand up, I promise. Now, let me say... um, This is good. We're playing for a prize here today. Not just one corner bookstore coffee box set, but I've got two here today. Yeah, you could get like some good caffeine in your system. All right, so this is what we're going to do. You stay standing and I'm going to pull a number out of the bag and I'm going to start reading off the number. All right, so now, now some of you who are sitting still, you didn't get one and you're feeling a little left out right now, right? These people were here right at 11 o'clock. So this is what happens when you show up on time. Sorry. All right, here we go. Ready? First number is eight. You should all be in still. 
The next number is zero, and you should all still be in. And the next number is three. Here's the game changer. Ready? Seven. So eight, zero, three, seven. If you don't have that, then have a seat. We lost a couple. The next number is eight. Oh. And the last number, and I didn't hand any of these out, so I don't know what's going to happen. The last number is nine. Who is it? Where is it? Way back there? Awesome. Can you give that person a round of applause? I, I would give this to you, but I only have 35 minutes and it's going to take a while. So I'll, I'll get that to you eventually, I promise. Come see me later for Coffee Bucks. I want you to hear something here. Um, this idea, whoa, hello, sorry. Um, this idea of the many to the few. Think about this for a moment. Some of you who didn't even get to stand to begin with, you're feeling a little upset, right? That's not fair. I wasn't chosen. And then there were a few of you at the very end that were still up and then you still lost out. I'm sorry about that. Um, But can you imagine what it was like? Jesus has all of these followers and people are coming after him. And then he takes a select few. And he brings them to himself and says he chose. He appointed those whom he wanted And out of that smaller multitude that he had, he chose 12. I want us to look at this picture and I want us to see what is Jesus up to as he's calling these 12. That there is greater significance maybe than just some of the stuff that you've heard. A lot of times when we look at this passage, we get a biography on all of the different disciples. We'll talk a little bit about who they are. But I want you to see that he's up to something far greater than you probably think or you've heard. And so this idea that Jesus is calling not only his disciples, but that you today are being called up and out of the crowd. Now, keep going with me. It says this. He went up on the mountain and he summoned those whom he himself wanted. And they came to him and it says, and he appointed 12. Jesus is up to something new, but it's actually something that's very old. As Jesus is going through this process of choosing these disciples, there's some context. The context is that Jesus had spent 40 days in the wilderness. He came up out of the Jordan. He came from the east, and then he picked 12. There's this sense that Jesus is the new Joshua. That just like Joshua came up out of the Jordan... And he came from the east and he came into the promised land. And he came with how many tribes of Israel? Twelve. That Jesus is doing something new here. That Jesus essentially is relaunching life in Israel. To the disciples, to all of the followers, to the onlookers. This is important. And it's, it's not by chance because even after Judas was gone and out of the picture. One of the first things we see in the early church in Acts chapter 1 is they have to find a replacement so that they can get back to that 12. Jesus is up to something new, but it's very familiar and it's very old. There's something else that's very unique about this because in this context, you never would have a rabbi go after and try to find his own disciples. How things worked. You'd go through a couple of different systems in schools. And as you were growing up, you kind of figured out, well, I might be more of a tradesperson or I might actually follow a rabbi. And so if you wanted to go into that work, you would actually attach yourself to a rabbi. And you'd say, I want to follow you. And now Jesus turns this whole system up on its end and he says, I want you to follow 
me. And it's not just the 12, because later on in the book he says, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. And so by extension, that invitation goes out to all of us today. But we have this Rabbi Jesus who is going through and he is choosing, he is anointing and appointing his disciples. And he's doing something different. And so even with this, there is a call for his disciples to acknowledge his authority. And he does this. If you go and you look at the choosing of the disciples and you go to Luke chapter 5, there's this scene that plays out. The disciples Uh, Before they're even called out to be disciples, you have Peter and some of the other guys, they're out fishing. And it says that they were fishing all night and they didn't catch anything. And they're actually kind of, after a really bad night of fishing, they are cleaning up their nets. And uh, Jesus comes by and he says, hey, uh, why don't you take the boat out a little bit and let's throw the nets out and see what we catch. And Peter's all, hey, Jesus, thanks, but not our first rodeo. We know what we're doing. Let us take care of this. And What they actually do is they follow and they listen. This rabbi is telling them what to do. And and so they throw it over. And it says that the take was so huge that their nets started to break. Peter needs to call in a second boat as they come in. And Jesus says, I will not only make you fishers of fish, but I will make you fishers of men. And their response is that they leave it all and they start to follow him. Now, Jesus is up to something new. You have to trust the one who has this authority, that if he has the authority, that you're going to follow him wherever he goes. Jesus did not set up his camp and say, hey, we're going to start in this synagogue and we're just going to teach from here. He's going all over the place. He's a preacher without a home. And he's telling the good news of the kingdom. And these disciples are called to follow. Now you think about the trust that they had to take Uh, Back in the day, before my Calvary days, I was a camp counselor at a place called Alpine Conference Center up in Blue Jay, California, Lake Arrowhead area. And on Thursdays, it was always water day. And at water day, we'd have slip and slides and dunk tanks and all that. And so one of the things that we got to do uh, was we got to demonstrate for the kids on the slip and slide that here's where the line is. And you get in the line only on this side and you go from this side across this way. We don't want any stragglers going this way. And so to demonstrate how this would work out, um, we would have one counselor on this side of the slip and slide and one on this side. And we would, like, you know, the blue angels, we would go straight at each other. And at the last minute, we would just turn and we'd keep going. It was very fascinating. It was great, right? Well, it was towards the end of the summer and I got, I was one of those counselors and the other guy was a new guy. And so we didn't really have our timing set up all that well. And the water had been pooling on the slip and slide for maybe a little too long. And so as we were coming, we both lost sight of each other and we turned late. And my head hit his bony little hip bone. And I had a concussion and 12 staples. And all I remember was my brother running down the hill saying, can you feel anything? I said, I don't know. I also remember people, uh, like counselors saying, uh, hey, kids turn around and they're singing, Jesus loves me. And I'm thinking like, maybe I'll never walk again. It was really fun. Um, And they brought me to the hospital. Well, Two days later, uh, I'm now an RA at Biola University, and we go to RA training. We go up to Hume Lake to this camp. It's really rustic. It's called Wildwood, and they take your watches from you, and you don't have any sense of time or schedule. You're just at their mercy. My dad had to drive me up because I was, like, behind, and I was going through, you know, all the medical stuff. And so I get there, and the very first night up at Wildwood, um, they wake you up in the middle of the night. You have no idea what time it is. 
It's like two or three in the middle of the night and they wake you up and they say, we're going on a hike. And I'm already dizzy to begin with. And so we go on this hike and there's this moment where there is a log going across this stream and you have to walk across it. Um, No flashlights, just had a concussion, kind of getting over all of that. And I look at my leader and I say, I don't know if I can do this. And he says, trust me, you can. Now, he was not and still is not Jesus. And so I should not have trusted him. (laughs) Because as I made my way across that log, I slip and I fall at two in the morning into this little river down below and said, see, I told you so. There has to be this trust in the one who is leading you. And these disciples go through this and they say, we're, we're going, we're all in and we're following. Now, Jesus is not only calling these disciples out, but he's calling them to a couple of things specifically. Um, in the next verse, it says this. He appointed the 12 so that they would be with him. So that they would be with him. The call for these disciples is now to ride shotgun with Jesus for the rest of his ministry here on earth. And there's this crowd and this multitude all around Jesus. They're bringing the sick and the lame and the diseased and the demon-possessed. They're all coming to Jesus and everybody's hoping for this miracle. But Mark does something unbelievable here. And he does it a couple of times in the passage. See, I think it's possible to be around Jesus but not really know Jesus. All of these people are hoping for a miracle. They hear about this rabbi from Galilee who's doing something new, but they don't really know him. And out of the middle of this crowd, if you just back up a little bit, you have in verse 11, remember the huge crowd down by the water? It says, whenever the unclean spirits saw Jesus, they would fall down before him and they would shout, you are the son of God. And he earnestly warned them not to tell who he was. Mark is like tipping us off and he's going to do it a couple more times throughout the book. But out of all of the people who are following Jesus, not everybody knows Jesus. In fact, (laughs) he makes a pretty big deal about the fact that it's always the demons that are recognizing him. And even at the end of the book, it's a Roman centurion that recognizes and says, Surely you are the Son of God. Surely this was the Son of God. What do we do with that here? Because a lot of you showed up this morning. Good job. And we have this sense that we can be around Jesus. We can be around the people of God. But do we know him? Are we with him? And and for that, that means that we have to be able to walk with him in every step and of the journey. And so part of that means that walking with Jesus and being with him might not be the easiest way. I give you a couple of passages in the outline where you could see that like life as a disciple and a follower of Jesus was not always easy. You constantly have the crowds. You're trying to figure out how are we going to feed everybody? And also in the end, it doesn't end all that well because in the end, many of them were martyred. But there is some fruit of being around Jesus. This idea of being with him, it's interesting. In a couple of chapters, in Mark chapter 5, we're going to get to this story about Jairus' daughter. She's dead. 
and Jesus is called into the scene. And it says that he permitted nobody else to come with him. He goes into this room where this dead girl is at. And it says that he permitted no one to come with him except for Peter, James, and John. And it was in that room that Jesus raised her back to life. And it's interesting because after the scene takes place and now Jesus has ascended and it's the disciples who are now doing ministry. You can go and I put all these passages in your outline. You can check it later. But in Acts chapter 3, you see Peter and John. They are now doing some of the same miracles that Jesus was doing earlier. In fact, they go to this gate called Beautiful and they see this lame man. He'd been lame and crippled his whole life. He was always there begging for money. And this time he comes up to Peter and to John they walk up to him and, and they're expecting something. And he says these words, silver and gold have I none. But this I give to you in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And he does. This gets Peter and John in all kinds of trouble with the authorities. They're wondering what's going on. And so now in chapter 4 of Acts, Peter and John find themselves kind of on tri trial. They were arrested, spent a night in prison, and now they're trying to defend themselves. And in Acts chapter 4, you see this story. And this was just pointed out to me this week as we were looking at this passage. But I want you to hear this. As they're getting grilled, this is the question that's being asked of them. By what power or in what name have you done this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man, as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all of the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands before you in good health. Everybody knows this man. They've been walking by him at that gate for years. And now he's standing there perfectly healed. And then he says, and there's salvation in no one else, but there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men, which we must be saved. Now here is the result. Check this out. Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and they began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. There was something in the way that they were doing ministry as they were pouring themselves out that they were recognized as having been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, testimony right here, the rulers had nothing to say in reply. Are you with Jesus? Are you getting to know him in such a way that your life is an outpouring of the miraculous work that he's done in your own life? And by extension, you are doing that in the lives of others. The idea for us is that we're not just recipients and called to know Jesus, but that we're supposed to do something with this. That we are called to be sent out by Jesus. I want you to understand, like this whole thing that we do here, church, like this is not everything. In fact, this is kind of a weird, unusual thing that we're doing here. That you all show up here at 11 o'clock and we all come together. We sing a couple songs. You listen to someone talk and then we just kind of go back. And great, we are Christians. But the call for us is much bigger than that. The call is that we would be sent. That we take this knowledge of and this relationship with 
Jesus and we do something with it. And so it says that he appointed the 12 so that they would be with him and that he could send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out the demons. That was it. Now, over and over again, we get this picture. I want you to hear this. And I want you to understand that God sent Jesus Christ, his son, to the earth. He was sent. And he says this more than once. You can look in John 14, he talks about it. But in John 17, this is the high priestly prayer that Jesus is now talking to the Father. And he says, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Now, they were appointed as disciples. The word disciple means learner. But in Luke, he says not only are they disciples, but it says that he called them apostles. The word in Greek is apostolos. It means a sent one, that these apostles were sent out. The word in Hebrew is shalia. And this idea of shalia is important. It's this idea of Jewish agency. Um, in the Mishnah, it says that the man, the one who is sent by the man, is as the man himself. Um, I got on a huge tangent this week and read, read way too much, but that this idea of shalia, it's actually something that's still alive and well today, that in legal affairs, in business transactions, you can send a shalia. It would be somebody who would be your ambassador. It would be somebody who would be your agent who would act on behalf of you. And so how does this actually work in the kingdom of God? It looks a little bit something like this, that God is the sending agent. And because of that, God selects whom he sends and he authorizes his agents with a binding authority. They bear derivative authority. The authority is derived from somewhere else. And so God sends Jesus. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 3 verse 1, it says that Jesus was an apostle and our high priest. That he is both. Now Jesus is God's agent. He represents the Father to the world as he was here fulfilling his life and ministry on earth. And so because of that, he bears the authority of the Father in the world. And he speaks and acts only on his sender's authority. Now Jesus is sending his apostles. And as apostles, as sent ones, they bear the binding authority of Jesus. Not only representing Jesus, but also representing the Father. And they speak and they act in the name of Jesus. Now, this is what it looks like in a picture sense. And I want you to understand that this idea of authority in Hebrew tradition is this idea of right, it's the right to bear the tradition forward. So what we have taken and what we have learned that we are going to push it forward. We are the keepers of this stuff that we have obtained, this information. And so that is where our authority comes from. And so... You have this system in Judaism, and, and we get this biblically, that God gives the law to Moses. And now Moses sends that out. And by the time Jesus is here on earth, there is this entire rabbinical system that is set up. We have the Pharisees, and you have the Sanhedrin. And they're saying, we are the keepers of the tradition, and therefore we send it forward. And it just keeps getting passed on and passed on. Well, Jesus comes on the scene, and he says, before Moses was, I am. I was there, I actually gave the law to Moses, I kind of understand what's going on. And so now he comes in and he is passing it on through his disciples, through his apostles. And now we as the church, we are part, we are these secondary third agents. We are here 2,000 years later, still called 
to be agents, still called to be apostles or sent ones on behalf of Jesus. And the problem is when Jesus sets up the 12, the powers that be in Jerusalem in that day didn't like it. They saw that there was a new structure, a new system that was being put in place. And in essence, the problem that the Pharisees and the Jewish community at the time had with Jesus, their problem was that they saw Jesus as interrupting this stream. And they're saying, no, 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 we are the keepers. We're the ones that are supposed to be pushing this forward. And Jesus says, no, 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 I'm the one who has authority. In fact, over and over again, they say, by whose authority are you sending this to? Whose authority are you healing? Whose authority are you teaching in? And so for us, we have to think about this. I want to think about this for a second. Um, this is a scenario that takes place in, in our home constantly. We have a trampoline. We have three children. And imagine this. Two of my kids, even though they're perfect angels almost all of the time, they get in a fight. Okay? Now, two kids get in a fight, and one kid comes back to me and says, my brother did this to me. You wouldn't believe what he did. And you know what I say? Because I'm kind of lazy and don't want to go out there and deal with it. You know what I say? Say, make sure you go back and tell your brother that he needs to cut it out. Right? Anyone ever done that before? Because you don't want to get a hope. You're hoping as a parent that that just solves it, right? So my little apostle goes back and delivers my message. Daddy says to cut it out. Well, it works perfectly, right? No. So another squabble ensues and there's another fight that goes on. And my apostle comes back and gives me the report. He didn't cut it out. So I have to up the message, right? Tell him that if he does not cut it out... That he will have to do extra chores. So my little apostle runs out the door with glee in his or her little heart, most likely her, and comes back and says, Daddy said that if you don't cut it out, you're going to have extra chores and you're going to have to do my chores too. <laughs> Did my little apostle speak and act on my behalf in that point? No. See, there's an obligation here. The obligation, if you are one who is sent, the obligation is to honor the wishes of the one who sent you. But the limitations are that you can only speak and act as the one who's sending you. And so for the apostles, they're limited to you are sent and you do and you act as I have commanded you. The privilege for those of us who are sent is that you and I are invited in to be representatives of Jesus to this world. And that we've been brought into that. Unfortunately, I think, friends, that a lot of us, some of us don't even want to be followers and so we haven't been called out to actually follow Jesus. Some of us have maybe been followers and so we show up and we hang around Jesus here at church on Sundays. But we actually aren't with him. We don't really know him. And then some of you, you actually are with him. And then you take all of this that God has given to you and it just kind of sits in this bucket. And it just kind of pools there. And we are not called to be buckets. We are called to be conduits. That what has been given to us must go out. We must be sent out and actually do something with it. I, I want to just give you an example. Because we as the church, this is the gathering point, And you walk out these doors and you are called to be mobilized 
to be sent so that we are doing something in the world. The mission field is out there. We can't just come here and say, all right, this is, this is church. This is what it means to be a Christian. I got my 75 minutes in and now I'm done. What does this look like as we go out? And so there's a unique subset of people at this church that see that their mission is, it starts here. And, and thank God we have like lots of kids and we have people who are coming here and we get to serve one another here in the church. But then it doesn't just stop here that it goes out. And so I just want to give you, exercise your mind. Where is God calling you? What is it that I'm supposed to be sent to? You're all sent to different places. I want to maybe just put on your heart and your mind today. Here's maybe one place that you might be sent. We have a ministry here. It's called Bridge, and it engages and empowers those with special needs and disabilities. They run from our youngest of kids to some of our older adults, people who are on the spectrum in some way, some people who have some special need or disability. And maybe the invitation, maybe where God is calling you to be sent out today is that you would engage and enter in to what does it look like for me to use what I've been given and to actually be sent out in this venue. And so I want you to just check this out and, and ask prayerfully, God, is this where you're sending me? Check this out. Bridge Ministry exists to help those with special needs and disabilities engage in the life of our church and be empowered to join and be a part of our community, essential, important parts of our community. And so we have Bridge Ministry throughout every nook and cranny of Calvary Church, from the nursery, preschool, elementary, middle school, high school, and adults. Bridge Ministry is everywhere. I just love... Um loving on these kids that um, otherwise don't have a place uh, in some churches. And, and I love that Calvary makes space for them and values them. I think for me, it's, it's just so moving every week to see the connections that are being made and just um, the life that some of our kids and our buddies bring. Jeremy, do you wanna pray? Show me pray. Pray. So he'll pray with the class when we pray. He, um, he'll color if we're doing a pro whatever the art project is. I met Jeremy maybe five, six years ago at, at VBS Bridge, and he was one of, I think, six kids with all different um, special needs. And his mom was also one of the volunteers, but I got to know Jeremy, and then after that I started working every other Sunday. <laughs> High five. Yeah, so I am a bridge buddy. I hang out with Johnny during second service usually uh, about once a month. And I'm there just to make sure that he's comfortable. We hang out, we walk around, we hang out on the swing, uh, play some music for him, he lets me sing for him. It just seems like he's getting a chance to see things in a way he doesn't always get a chance to. And I just, I like being a part of that. Bridge provides the necessary supports for people with special needs and, and disabilities to be a part of the life of our church and to bring what they have to offer our community. I come here every uh, Halloween and I, I, I do the light up the light, you know? Yeah. And I love doing that. And I think the, the world about this church. I get to be a lot, with a lot of great people and I, I learn a lot about God. As people will say, oh, I'm not, that's not for me. That's, I'm not the type of person who can do that. I'm not, you know, all of these different things. And we've seen that be not true time and time again. I think there's so many things in my life where I haven't felt equipped and God just uses you in ways that you don't think that you are capable of being used. At the core of it, it's just relationship. It's getting to know our kids and our adults. And we all have different needs. We have different things that we like, but the more that we relate to one another, the more equipped we feel because it's just about connecting. 
And so that's what Bridge is about. Bridge is about being inclusive. It's about not just being inclusive, but being empowering and engaging and partnering and being, wait for it, better together. Uh, that's what the whole point is. And so I want you to be a part of it. I want you to join in our Bridge ministry. And maybe that's just being aware and saying hi to your friends that are part of our bridge ministry and maybe that's being serving in our bridge adult class or being a buddy to a kid if you want to serve in bridge ministry visit our website calvarylife.org and get connected so if god's calling you i guarantee you he will equip you what is it that he's stirring up in you right now what is he calling you to Melissa and Lindsay will be out in the lobby after service. But one of our prayers every Sunday morning as I'm meeting with our team is, Lord, just send those. We are so thankful if you volunteer with one of our ministries. We are so thankful when you show up because we can't do it alone. We need to do this together. This is God's church. He's building his kingdom, but he needs you to be a part of it. And so specifically, we just want to highlight that today, that maybe God's calling you to work with our bridge adults to work with some of our men and women that, that love Jesus wholeheartedly, but they need somebody to come alongside them and help them understand. And so put that on your heart and see where God's leading you. Now, Jesus says that he was calling them out. He would be with them. They would be with him. But then it says that so they would preach and so that they would cast out demons, that he gave them authority to do this. And I want you to understand that part of our calling it says to preach, and you hear that preaching thing, and you might be thinking about what's happening right now, like that God is calling you, like you have to get a microphone on and stand in front of a bunch of people and start talking. But that wasn't that first century context. The first century context was if you're going to go out and you're going to preach, then that means you go up and you start talking to people. I got to pray with somebody between services, and it's a lady who's been here her whole life. She's in her 80s, and she was crying, and she was saying, I need boldness. I want to be out there and I want to be able to preach. And so don't limit this whole thing when it says preach. Oh, well, I'm not a preacher. No, you preaching means that you're sharing the good news of what God has done in your life, the truth of what God has done, and then you let God do the work. That his spirit would empower you. And as Eric has challenged us, the, the, the word chow, that we would have courage to go actually, the boldness to do it in the heart that God would give us opportunities, and then when those opportunities come, that we would have words to say. But then it also says that we've been given authority to cast out demons. And I want you to know that this is not just something for those who are gifted in that, but that you have all been given authority in the name and in the power of Jesus Christ to be able to enter into that. And it sounds a little awkward, and it sounds a little weird because we don't really flex that muscle all that often. But I guarantee you that you step into that and you start to see and that God gives you discernment and wisdom that things will start to take place in your life and that you will be operating out of the power and the work of God through his spirit. Now the last thing I want you to hear is that we're called to be changed. Unfortunately for me, I am just as good of a guitar player as I was 25 years ago. I, I, have not, I have not gotten better at all. Like not even remotely, maybe even a little bit worse. But can you imagine what would happen with the disciples if after walking with Jesus for three and a half years, that nothing happened, that there was no change, that Jesus died, he rose again, he ascended to heaven, and then nothing. In fact, a lot of them, they wanted to like, hey, going back to fishing, 
right? And so Jesus calls them out. And it's interesting because this is the list, and that's the last part, right? It says, he appointed the twelve, and we have Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, which means rock, and James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James. To them he gave the name Boanerges, which means the sons of thunder, and Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the zealot, and even Judas, who's always named last, who betrayed him. If you follow the progression of these 12 throughout their life, there was change. You have Peter, who the only time he took his foot out of his mouth or opened his mouth was to change feet. That as he's going through, that he's constantly just blabbing stuff out there. He's impulsive. He's chopping ears off of soldiers, right? Or you have the sons of thunder. They say, Jesus, when we get to your kingdom, can we sit on your right and your left? Or they say, hey, those Samaritans that didn't receive your message, can we call down fire from heaven and have them torched? Well, James goes on to be one of the first martyrs amongst the 12. And John is later on called the apostle of love. And then you have guys like Thomas, who throughout church history has been known as Doubting Thomas. And then you have Matthew, who's the tax collector. Matthew, who's a Jew, who sells out to Rome, sets up a franchise, and now he's starting to charge everybody we're going to take for Rome and I'm going to take some for me. And nobody likes him. And he's paired up with this other guy named Simon who is a zealot. You know what zealots do? They kill people like Matthew. They want, man, it's all about the kingdom. We're bringing the kingdom back. It's Jewish, Jewish, Jewish. And we're going to take out anybody who's a defector. They would kill Roman soldiers. And so for Jesus to take this assembly of 12 and say, I'm going to change the world through you. And I'm going to send you out that we have to be changed. What would it look like for us as a community, we have far more than 12, if we went out and we lived on mission to do what Jesus has called us to do? We are the sent ones. We are fueled by the Spirit of God. And I want to introduce you. I want you to think about this. And look, there's a lot of off-ramps. There's a lot of places that we could go with this. But I want to bring up Norm Alexander. Norm is the chairman of our elder board. And I want us to talk about even what's fueling us I don't know if you understand how this works, but here in the church, we have this thing where we take offering and we receive funds. And so Norm's going to give us a little bit of an update on that, but that we need to enter into this wholeheartedly, us as an entire community. And so we asked Norm if he would come and just give us an update on where we're at and how we can be involved and do this together. Norm. Thank you, Matt. I appreciate that. Hey, it's a privilege to come. It's a privilege to serve as part of your elders on the elder board, and it's a privilege to speak to you this morning. I get the chance to talk to you today about money. Oh, man, way to ruin the mood, Norm. Now, if you're a visitor with us, if you're a guest, I mean, if you're a visitor, you are our guest. Please don't feel any obligation. In one sense, this isn't for you. I'm here talking with the Calvary family. You're welcome to just listen in. The reason we talk about money is because it's part of being called, and God has called us to make disciples. And uh, part of being a disciple is giving God control over the money that he has entrusted to us. So we're not going to shy away from that topic. We want that to be part of the way in which we grow disciples here. Um, so we want you to know that uh, the church is a little bit like you in that we have a budget. And uh, we take the offerings that are provided through you, by you, by God. And then we have uh, staff, of course. We have the elders, but we also have the board of trustees. That are also volunteers that do a fantastic job managing the resources that God has given us uh, to keep the church going. And so we are about to prepare for our new budget, 
And as we're doing that, I want to give you an update on our current budget. So here's the math. We are on a year-to-date basis. By the way, our, our, our budget cycle, our year, if you will, is July to June. That's where, where we run it. That's how we budget. Um, year-to-date, our giving is down about 3% from what we budgeted. That's about $120,000. And I don't share that so that you worry. I share that so that you would join us in prayer. That you would pray for us, that you would pray that God would provide, and you would pray that he would give us all wisdom in how we should allocate the funds that he provides. Just like you in your own budget, we're in the situation of saying we want to trust God for all that he wants to do and believe that he will provide abundance and balance that with the wisdom of being prudent about the resources that he has provided. The, the budget that we use covers things like the bridge ministry that we shared about. All the things that you're looking out here, including an activity that went on yesterday to reach in our local community, Operation Love, where a number of great volunteers, probably some of you are here even now, went out and served some of the elderly and the people that needed some repairs on their home that they couldn't do themselves. It also covers our activities around the world in missions, including Rebecca Weatherstone, who you can read about uh, in your bulletin this morning. She's in Germany teaching high school students and also ministering to others that come through, in, uh, including refugees. That's all about what our budget is used for. But it connects back, obviously, to what we're talking about with calling. And as we listen to Matt, who's doing a great job of leading us through this passage, I want you to, to not miss something that's kind of part and parcel of this that, that we might overlook. To me, it's perhaps the most amazing even astonishing thing if we think about it, and that is this, why would God call us at all? You could make the argument that Jesus could have accomplished his mission there in the first century a lot better without involving the 12 guys we've just named. I am absolutely sure that he could accomplish his mission here in my world by bypassing me and not trying to work through me. But God stoops down, he engages us, he, if you will, he paces himself by involving us in his plan for the whole world. He calls us to join him, to be with him in his mission for the whole world for all time. And that is the most amazing privilege that we could imagine. So as in a little while, Matt leads us in prayer, as we go to worship I encourage you, among all the other things, to be reflecting on that amazing and astonishing fact that God has called us to be along with him in his great ministry, whether it's giving or it's going or all the other things that we talk about. Matt, thanks for the time. Thank you, Norm. So here's the question. What do we do with all of this, right? Um, what is Jesus calling you to today? And as we kind of just think about what we've talked about a bit this morning, as some of you might just need to be called out of the crowd. And if you felt Jesus calling in your life and you've ignored it and you've just kind of said, not for me, then the answer today is that you would come out of the crowd and maybe you need to become a follower of Jesus. Maybe your calling is that you've been following and you've been hanging around Jesus for a bit, but you really haven't made that decision to be with him. And so for those of us who fall into that boat today, that I want us to hear that he desperately wants you to know him. That he wants a relationship. That's what sets this 
what we believe, apart from every other belief in the world, is that we have a God that wants a relationship with us. And then some of us, we understand that and we walk with Jesus and we have a really great relationship with him, but we don't do anything with it. That there are just vessels out here that have received so much and it's just kind of pooling there. I, we need you in the body of Christ. If we're building this kingdom, then we've got to go out and you have to be apostles, shalia, sent ones on mission to go do something. And then there's some of us that you've been just going after. You've been serving wholeheartedly. You know Jesus. You have a relationship with him. But you yourself are not being changed. And so there's multiple places and multiple things that we can do. And as we go into this time of worship, that our worship is our response. Again, this is the gathering point. As you walk out, you are sent to go do something. And so this morning, we're going to have ushers come forward and they're going to receive offering. And so maybe you step into it today and say, I'm going to give and I'm going to, I'm going to be generous, ridiculously generous, because this is something that I've been holding on to and I need to be freed up from. Maybe I'm going to worship and I've been doing it and kind of pouting and have no passion. And I just kind of watch people around me sing, but man, I wish I could be worshiping God with my whole heart. Then, man, my prayer is that you'd be freed up, that you would worship him wholeheartedly this morning. Um, and as the offering is being passed, after that has gone through, um, just want to invite you that, that you can get up and move a little bit. You can bow down before God. You can stand. You can sit. Um, but we have a couple of stations on the perimeter where you can take communion and you can remember the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And if you need prayer and you need discernment on where am I supposed to go, what am I supposed to do with all of this, then we'll have people up front and we want to pray with you. We care about that. And so as we enter into this time, this time is for you and the Lord. And you sit there with this question, Lord, what are you calling me to today? And then be faithful. Be faithful. Let me pray. So Father God, Certainly you are calling us and have called and maybe we've just been ignoring you. Thank you for your son who you sent. Jesus, our apostle and our high priest. Thank you for the example lived out by 12 untrained, uneducated men that changed the world. And that we, as your agents down the line, have been entrusted by your authority and your power to go out and to make other disciples and to send out others, the next generation. Speak to us in this moment and move us. In the name of Jesus, amen.